Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places. Welcome to A Public Affair. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. Last Wednesday, the University of Wisconsin-Madison student newspaper, The Daily Cardinal, published an article that spawned headlines across the state. As the universities of Wisconsin continue to lay off and furlough employees and close and restructure campuses, this article sparked new controversy about the coordinated goals and decisions of UW administrators. The article, entitled Facing Budget Shortfalls, UW System President Privately Suggested Chancellors Shift Away from Liberal Arts Programs at Low-Income Campuses, is based on an open records request for emails from UW President Jay Rothman to the chancellors of the state's 13 public universities. In one of these emails from September 1st, Rothman makes a list of 16, quote, lessons, unquote, for addressing budget deficits at the universities. These lessons can be boiled down to a main message. Cut now, cut big, and reduce student-serving programs while investing in technology. Though Rothman quickly objected to the article as a, quote, mischaracterization, unquote, on X, formerly Twitter, the dramatic cuts on one campus after another this fall show that these general recommendations are being carried out. Meanwhile, the universities of Wisconsin are investing hundreds of millions of dollars in new technologies and consultants as part of an ongoing administrative transformation program. On today's show, I'll talk first with the author of the Daily Cardinal article that jump-started this conversation last week. Later in the show, I'll talk with UW River Falls political scientist Neil Kraus, who's written extensively about higher education policy. To start us off, I'd like to introduce Liam Barron. Liam is campus news editor at the UW-Madison student newspaper, The Daily Cardinal, and a third-year English major. Thank you so much for joining us today, Liam. Yeah, thank you for having me, Douglas. Liam, first, I'd like you to walk us through the main points of this article that came out last week in The Daily Cardinal and what you hope readers take away from it. Yeah, so um, as part of an open records request, I had received a number of uh, UW System President Jerry Rothman's emails. Um, and the the one that really struck me uh, was one that he had forwarded over to all chancellors. Um, it was a chronicle of higher education report detailing a university uh, that had a tough financial situation, Henderson State University. Um, And Rothman had shared over some takeaways that he thought chancellors might be able to use um, in the future as they planned their sort of restructuring of the system in response to the tough financial situation that it's in right now. Um, And point 13 had a pretty interesting recommendation. Um, Rothman says, consider shifting away from liberal arts programs to programs that are more career specific, particularly if the institution serves a large number of low-income students. And so... When I when I saw this, I, I realized that this is fairly big news um, and thought to sort of see people's reactions to this across the system, both students and professors, uh, and see what that sort of statement means to people. And yeah. And I should mention, uh, I was one of the people you talked to um, for the article. But yeah, so what is the overall response you got? We don't have to focus on on my reactions. What uh, do you think is really newsworthy about singling out um, institutions that serve a large number of low-income students and the kinds of programs that they offer? Yeah, so I think the response that I've seen from a lot of people across the system is that um, the the sort of recommendation itself um, is striking uh, for people who are educators in the liberal arts fields, um, but it's also sort of the the inclusion of low-income students uh, in that statement did strike many the wrong way uh, in that the comprehensive universities will serve a larger number of low-income students than, say, the flagship UW-Madison. Uh, and so... It was a concern uh, in reactions 
to the article publicly that you know the the opportunities to study lower arts for lower income students will be sort of minimized as a result of if this recommendation were to be implemented yeah and that seems to be what kind of struck a chord with uh universities of wisconsin president rothman himself um a public affair invited president rothman on the show today as we have in the past so far he has been unavailable we asked then director for media relations at the universities of wisconsin mark pitch for a statement and i'm going to read to you liam the statement um, that he provided, which um, you're already familiar with as well. Uh, he provided this same statement to the Daily Cardinal. Here's uh, Universities of Wisconsin's uh, response to your article. President Rothman shared with chancellors a detailed 50-page report from the Chronicle of Higher Education that he believed included interesting lessons and ideas, some of which he acknowledged would not be applicable to the Universities of Wisconsin. He did not suggest that chancellors move away from liberal arts programs. However, as evidenced by the $32 million workforce proposal, the universities are seeking to expand capacity in high-growth STEM, healthcare, and business disciplines to meet workforce needs. To be clear, President Rothman has consistently stated the importance of a liberal arts education to developing critical thinking and problem-solving skills. In fact, to win the war for talent that the president has championed, he has highlighted the need for these skills repeatedly. Uh, I'd like to ask you for your response to this statement, Liam. Yeah, so um, I, I guess one of the things that sort of strikes me in the statement, which, as you noted, the Cardinal also received as well. I certainly see uh, what Pish might be implying here, but I would also say that as much as Rothman might say that he didn't suggest that chancellors move away from lower arts programs. Um, the the quote that we had included in our article, um, consider shifting away from lower arts programs uh, and so forth, is a suggestion in uh, in follow up coverage that the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and Cap Times have done. Uh, Rothman has called it food for thought, uh, which I would say is also fairly analogous to a suggestion. Um, the Cardinal didn't imply that Rothman had you know, uh, demanded anything, mm -hmm. but he certainly suggested something in that email. So is it fair to say uh, you're saying by that the the system's universities of Wisconsin's uh, response is inaccurate, that when when they say Rothman did not suggest, I'm quoting, that chancellors move away from liberal arts programs, you're saying that is that is not accurate. He, in fact, did suggest in his his language in the email that's out there for everyone to see on the on the Daily Cardinal website in the article is, uh, in fact, a suggestion that chancellors move away from liberal arts programs. Yeah, I would say that's a suggestion. Um, I would say, as we've noted in our public um, responses to this, that we, we stand by reporting and we, we say that this is a suggestion. You're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM Madison. My name's Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking with Liam Barron, campus news editor of the Daily Cardinal newspaper of, at UW-Madison. We're talking about his recent article, Facing Budget Shortfalls, UW President, System President Privately Suggested Chancellors Shift Away from Liberal Arts Programs at Low-Income Campuses. We're going to continue now, Liam, with uh, Rothman's response um, as I noted earlier, he uh, made the unusual step of responding uh, quickly on X, formerly Twitter, that he was, quote, deeply disappointed by the Daily Cardinal and its, quote, egregiously false headline and framing of the story. It's unusual for the president of such a university system to essentially denounce a student reporter for learning to do a journalist's job. Do you feel intimidated by this response from Rothman, um, first of all? I mean, no. Uh, I think as journalists, it, it's not always on public sort of scale, but we, we often receive these sort of, this sort of feedback uh, that the quote, or that a story has been misframed or that we, we aren't communicating accurately uh, what a system official or a university official uh, has communicated and we you know as much as the universities of wisconsin or uv madison or whoever whomever it is uh 
an article um, may from time to time disagree with our reporting, uh, we that doesn't necessarily mean that the reporting is false. Um, and we, you know, we welcome feedback. Uh, we certainly appreciate that there will be critiques of our reporting. Um, but in this case, we didn't agree with Rockson's characterization of our article, and we do stand by our reporting. But but the sort of public um, nature of Rothman's feedback doesn't intimidate me now. And do you and your colleagues at the Daily Cardinal plan to continue covering UW System administration's decisions in this time of cutting the universities? Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, it's it's a very important subject, um, and we've seen it on the legislative end. We've seen it internally at the UW System, uh, and there is a lot of you know incredibly interesting and vitally important news for the public to know. Um, so, yes, we will plan to continue covering the UW system administration's response to uh, the fiscal state that's currently in. Can you give us a sense of where you see that coverage going next? What are the issues that are coming out of both this article that you did last week, Liam, and the response that you're hearing around the system that you feel like are important to follow up on? Yeah, so I mean, certainly I feel like the response that professors have been giving is an important thing to continually look at. The response from the system itself, often going on to say to other publications that, you know, he, he's defending liberal arts, that he wants to continue to his programs uh, grow, I think is an important response to sort of look into as well. Um, but also, I, I would like to sort of emphasize the, the student response to all this, um, We've seen in a number of articles, uh, both in the Cardinal, but in other publications as well, um, the sort of really concrete impact that reducing enrollment in majors or program changes can have on student life and the student experience at universities. I know one article um, that really resonated with me back in the spring was one uh, in the newspaper I used to write for, The Advanced Titan, about UV Oshkosh's decision to stop new enrollments in the theater major and what that meant for current theater majors. They were, you know, unsure of where their program's going to take them in the future. And I think that's a really important thing to consider among what's happening across the system right now. What are the impacts on people who are, you know, students within it? Yeah, and I'd like to follow up on your comment there about impacts on students on comprehensive campuses. These are the regional campuses that are essential to the Wisconsin idea that uh, any student anywhere in the state who qualifies to go to college, who's interested in going to college, can go and have an experience where they are exposed to the full range of academic programs and possibilities and can study uh, anything among that full range traditionally offered at uh, colleges and universities. And um, what is important about that statement in your article last week is the suggestion that really maybe the the universities of Wisconsin are not that committed to uh, that idea that students anywhere in the state might be able to uh, study that full range of programs. And what's particularly striking to me, and I think maybe got buried a little bit in the, the media coverage generally to uh, responding to your article and Rothman's response, was that Rothman singled out low-income students. He could have made a general statement about uh, maybe we should evaluate uh, liberal arts programs in uh, contrast to more vocational programs and where we should be investing. But he decided to, in particular, say that we should particularly consider reducing options for low-income students at campuses that serve uh, more low-income students than others. So um, many of the comprehensive campuses, like where you were a student at UW Oshkosh before coming to Madison, who serve a lot more low-income students, Parkside, Oshkosh, um, other campuses around the state. Liam, what um, do you think is important to dig into there? And do you think that there is uh, a larger... Uh, story that you will be pursuing around this idea that low-income students maybe shouldn't be uh, exposed to or have the same opportunities as other students? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak to any like specific article that's in the works, but um, my general impression, and something that I do think is important to note in all this, 
is that there is a sort of difference in the economic distribution of UW system campuses. As I note in the article, UW Madison has the lowest number of low-income students, which is defined by the UW system as any student uh, who receives a Pell Grant. Um, Madison's is 15.3% of its students. In comparison, UW Parkside, the highest, is uh, at 39.6% of students. And I do think that's something that um, people might not realize as they sort of initially view, say, the headline to this article. There is a very, very large discrepancy um, in the number of students that certain or the number of low-income students that certain campuses serve over others. Um, and so I do think it's, it's very important to see the sort of perspective of low-income students in how they view the opportunities that are afforded to them. I know at my time at Oshkosh, uh, there were plenty of students who commuted from home to save uh, money or, you know, worked a job and um, also attended school at the same time. Uh, and I, I think that sort of perspective is important to consider uh, as we, we continue coverage on this issue. The, the sort of academic opportunities that are available to certain students and not others. One thing that one of the students I had mentioned, or one of the students I had interviewed for this article had mentioned was that he had transferred from a smaller uh, university in Michigan. And the main reason that he had transferred to Madison from that university was the sort of reduced program offering program offerings at his prior university. And that, that's a sort of uh, perspective that I do think that the media should be looking at as we continue to cover the cuts and restructuring going on throughout the UW system. And that, of course, uh, is accentuated when those two-year access campuses close as well, right? Like you said, many students are living at home. That's an easy close-to-home option. That's what those campuses were designed for, to help low-income students or students who are working or students with families to access college. Um, is that something the Daily Cardinal is also looking into? And would you like to speak to that issue? Yeah, so I mean, I've actually covered uh, quite a few of the um, access campus closures myself, and that's something that I think we are really interested in looking at. Um, the access campuses serve students um, in communities nearby the conferences typically, uh, and do sort of branch out the system further. Uh, some people object to the the name branch campuses, which has been given uh, by many, but I, I think the access campuses. A really interesting point in all this. Um, the closures of them have, you know, prompted breaking news because there are students who have to find different routes, whether that's transferring or moving to online education, as those access campuses are shuttered. Um, and so I, I do think that's a pretty important point, especially because some of the areas that those access campuses serve uh, aren't the sort of the, they're they have less educational access in general. Um, the universities will be further from them, and so when you uh, when those access campuses are shuttered, um, it means that people have to consider alternate higher education options. I want to follow up on uh, something you just said there that relates back to the Rothman email in your article, Liam, um, and that's online education. One of the quote-unquote lessons in Rothman's email that you acquired was uh, a recommendation to chancellors to not just a recommendation, he says, need to invest in technology. Um, he did not single out online education in this particular document as a direction to emphasize, but I'm wondering if there is conversation you hear among students and also as a reporter, folks you talk to around the universities of Wisconsin about pressure to invest in online education and technology more broadly. That's another point in this email that maybe hasn't been covered as much in the media, but certainly deserves attention. Yeah, I mean, I will say that um, folks I have talked to throughout the system are sort of, this is typically from faculty, but will sort of communicate the idea that online education is sometimes uh, used as a, as a way to reduce um, costs that online education is a more cost-efficient um, substitute to uh, in-person education. Um, so I do think this is something that's worth looking into. Uh, I will say that in the in the email itself, there's not a clear sort of direction um, from that point to online uh, education, or at least not one that's 
uh, not one that's enumerated specifically mm-hmm. within that email. But I, I do think that that's an interesting thing to look at. And it is a, a suggestion that I've heard from people throughout the uh, university system that, that uh, or faculty throughout the university system that the UW system looks at online education as a sort of cost, uh, more cost efficient uh, measure. That's something that one of the other um, sources I had spoken to for this article, Dr. Neil Krauss, had sort of mentioned to me as well. And as a student yourself, Liam, and somebody who talks to students a lot, do you feel that there is demand for those online programs? Are students asking for more online programs in particular? Um, I mean, I, I honestly don't know how, how readily I can speak to that sort of question. Um, I think that generally the students at Madison I've spoken to, um, they might look at online course offerings, say, for a course that they do that could be asynchronous or synchronous. Um, but generally, I, I've not heard a ton from students at UV Madison about completely online institutions or educational uh, experiences. I will say that that could also just be a facet of my education at UV Madison. But yeah, I, I guess I can't give a specific answer, uh, yes or no, whether students are expressing large interest in uh, online education. It's not something that I've heard much of at UW Madison, I will say. Okay. Um, well, we just have another minute with you or two, Liam. Uh, I'd like to offer, uh, ask you about one more um, specific point in that email included in your article. Um, it was kind of at the end of one of the recommendations or lessons, as Rothman calls them, uh, that many universities are offering too many programs. There was a, a clear statement there. Many universities are offering too many programs. How do you read that? And, and how did you evaluate whether that was something you wanted to highlight in your article? Or is it part of this larger story that you're investigating here? Yeah, so I think the suggestion on too many programs is, or the you know, suggestion uh, lesson around too many programs is one that I, I found uh, particularly interesting considering the some of the cuts that we're seeing around the system. I know at UV Oshkosh, there are cuts to USP, um, the University Studies Program, and the Quest system, uh, their sort of general education program. Uh, and at UW Green Bay, um, we're seeing majors in, you know, economics or theater uh, potentially being cut. Um, the Green Bay Chancellor has attributed that to low enrollment and not financial um, status. But in any case, I think that is a really interesting facet of Rothman's email, uh, the idea that there are too many programs. And there is, you know, a suggestion by some um, that, Universities do offer too many programs. Uh, this has been something that we've seen along partisan lines somewhat, that there's been a Republican suggestion that there are too many programs in the humanities field. And it's something that I, I do think is interesting to continue looking at. And, you know, seeing, I, I think that is sort of, in essence, what a lot of this article comes down to. You know, program access is something that is incredibly important to people. Uh, and shifts uh, or cuts to program access is something that you know students do really care about, especially if the institution that they're attending is you know one of those low-income campuses that m- might not have the ready sort of access to the opportunities that other campuses like UW Madison has. I think that that is a great, uh, important takeaway and contribution of your article, Liam, and a great place to leave it um, with that notion that there are real consequences to ideas like this being expressed by um, leaders of the universities of Wisconsin. And thank you for your reporting on this issue. I've been talking with um, Liam Barron, news editor, campus news editor with the Daily Cardinal at UW-Madison. Thanks so much for joining us, Liam. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Douglas. And you're listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM. My name is Douglas Haynes, and I've just been talking with Liam Barron from the UW-Madison student newspaper, The Daily Cardinal. 
and I will be transitioning our conversation here momentarily to our next guest. But I want to, first of all, thank all of you listeners who donated to the On Air Mini Drive celebrating our 48th 48th birthday uh, this past week. That mini pledge drive is over, but you can still donate online and choose a great thank you gift through today, Monday, December 4th. Go to wrtfm.org and click on the banner at the top of the page. Individual supporters like you provide nearly 75% of WRT's income and 100% of our independence from the rules of commercial radio. So please uh, donate if you can. We appreciate your support. It keeps us going here at WRT. So I am pleased now to welcome my next guest who's going to build upon what Liam Barron was just talking about and give us some broader context as well. Dr. Neil Krauss is a professor of political science at UW-River Falls. He is the author of three books, including the new book, The Fantasy Economy, Neoliberalism, Inequality, and the Education Reform Movement. Welcome to A Public Affair, Neil. Thanks so much for having me, Douglas. It's I'm great to, to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show and continue this conversation. So we just heard from Liam there, Neil, the author of this article that sparked really a series of headlines and conversations going all around the state last week. Um, I'd like to start by asking you from for your own response to that article and the email in particular from Universities of Wisconsin President Jay Rothman that it's based on. What do you think is important to highlight in this set of suggestions from President Rothman to university chancellors across the state? You know, I, I think that, I mean, obviously his comments about the liberal arts are getting the most attention uh, and, and understandably so. Um, you know, suggesting campuses might want to shift away from liberal arts uh, fields and, and more particularly lower income campuses and so forth. I mean, I think something that really is as important, if not more important, is the is the um, the whole tone of his comments and also of um, the system's comments um, since the article came out about how it's really important to, to do these cuts, you know, quickly uh, and, and just kind of move on. Right. Um, that that, uh, you know, we can't we can't really uh, delay that these are necessary things. They have to happen. That's clearly the the tone, sometimes implicit, sometimes it's explicit in both the, the his own you know email initially and then the subsequent comments. That should be um, really as troubling as anything else, because these these changes, whatever changes are made, uh, will be uh, essentially permanent changes. And that's the goal here, to really permanently make over the comprehensives. Um, it's, it's a goal that's been stated over and over again by the system itself and by the Republican Party. Uh, going back to at least 2020, uh, right after the pandemic started, uh, with a, a document called the Blueprint of the, the Ray Cross-led UW system. Uh, subsequently, the Roth Report put out by the Republican Party in the Senate. Um, I mean, the goal is to compel the comprehensives to specialize, right? That's the language. Um, uh, that's the, the language that's, that's used publicly because that's much more palatable than, uh, than frankly, what President Rothman said in his email. Uh, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to sell that agenda on the merits, an agenda that says uh, we're going to, to limit liberal arts majors basically to maybe a handful of comprehensives and Madison. Uh, and we're going to sort of really compel the comprehensives to adopt, you know, more STEM programs, business, healthcare, uh, limiting, of course, what students can, can, uh, can study. That's a, a losing message in, in the public sort of domain. But it's all about austerity, right? It's, it, it's all about um, you know, we have no more public money, therefore we have to specialize. Um, but yet, as, as you know, Douglas, and everybody who's listening knows, uh, there's a huge budget surplus. There's plenty of money. Uh, it's just not going to the UW. So, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but that, those are just some of my initial comments. 
Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack in your comments just now. I want to get to that Wisconsin roadmap, that Roth report that you mentioned a few minutes ago, but I want to focus on something else related to what you just said first. Um, so part of the message here, and this was included in uh, the University of Wisconsin response to the article last week, was we are highlighting a workforce proposal for high-growth STEM healthcare business disciplines for these comprehensive campuses. That's the vision that we want right. to uh, highlight of these campuses, these kinds of career-specific, to use Rothman's own language, courses of study. But you've pointed out that the notion that there are career-specific courses of study that are somehow better at preparing people for jobs than liberal arts majors is false or at least problematic. Yeah. Tell us more yeah. about that, because this should be more talked about, right? This is framed in the public eye as liberal arts versus career, but you're saying for that sure. whole distinction is not really useful. For sure, for sure. I mean, the biggest myth is that there's this there's this huge demand for engineers and for tech workers. Um, it's just not true. Uh, it, it's been driving much of American education policy for several decades uh, in both K-12 and higher ed, but it, it's simply not accurate. There, there's a, a, a relative, very small percentage of the total labor market actually consists of all STEM jobs. Um, and it hasn't really changed much over the decades. Um, it's not projected to change very much at all. It's in the neighborhood of six, a little over 6% of all jobs are STEM jobs. And that's all STEM jobs, right? That's dozens and dozens of jobs uh, together constitute a little bit over 6% of all jobs. There's plenty of engineers. There's there's a there's an oversupply of tech workers in the United States. Uh, a lot of tech workers uh, don't have college degrees because they don't need them to get them. To get those jobs, um, he talks about healthcare, high demand healthcare. If you look at the healthcare system, right, and and we all know this, just every time we go to the doctor or the hospital, look around at most of the jobs in the building. Most of the jobs are not the 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 doctors and the nurses. Most of the jobs are low wage, uh, low education, typically jobs. Um, these are the jobs that dominate healthcare. Home healthcare is extremely low pay. Uh, and a huge, if he wants to talk about home health aids, right, then maybe he should be explicit about that. There are millions of jobs as home healthcare aids, and the, the wages are extraordinarily low. And the job typically requires a high school degree, uh, uh, you know, at best, or maybe some sort of on the job training. And by the way, I want to be clear that's an extremely difficult an extremely necessary job. Um, uh, but the notion that we could, you know, crank out a whole bunch of STEM majors and they're all going to get great STEM jobs is just empirically, objectively false. There is just no, no objective data behind that. This is a, you know, business. Day. And it's, by the way, it's business has every right to say that there's a skills gap, to say they can't find enough skilled workers. I mean, this is America. You can you can say that. That's fine. But we have to objectively look at that information and the data and say, are there really all these vacant engineering jobs? I mean, is that is that is that true? Um, doesn't appear to be the case at all. Are there all you know these these vacant software engineering jobs or or any kind of engineering jobs? Um, doesn't appear to be the case, and yet it's been a big big push. I mean, the, the George W. Bush administration really kind of got this going and, you know, a few decades ago, long time ago, um, you know, this massive national push towards STEM. And, and, and if you look at, you know, going back to liberal arts, um, there's lots of jobs for liberal arts majors, um, you know, and, 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 and the, 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 the tricky thing here though, Douglas, is that in higher ed kind of kind of reinforces some of this misleading thinking, the way we talk about this stuff. I mean, what are jobs for English majors or political science majors or sociology majors? I mean, the reality is that uh, liberal arts majors do, do anything and everything. They go to work in business, they go to grad school, they become lawyers, they become journalists, they become teachers, they work for nonprofits, they work in the civil service, they do all these different things, right? Um, 
you know, it's, it, it's the notion that, and by the way, you know, a lot of tech, you know, a lot of computer science grads do the same thing. A lot of engineering jobs, you know, majors do the same thing, right? The notion that there's like this finite list of jobs for every major, uh, that's, that's, we all know that's not the case. And, and yet higher ed often, uh, um, sort of contributes to this this lack of understanding of the labor market but because we talk about it in ways that are not accurate and not helpful um but you know the, the notion that that you know stem and healthcare and, and and business are are quote high demand that's an empirical question um uh and that you know we could we could evaluate that right we could look at the number of people who have degrees, the number of in those areas, the number of jobs that are that are that exist in those areas, and 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 then the wages offered. Of course, you have to look at that as part of this whole discussion. Um, but typically, what happens in higher ed is is uh, the only interests allowed in the room are are business interests. Business interest groups say we just can't find enough engineers, and then before you know it. We're redoing the whole system on the basis of what our interest group claims. And I want to, you know, say something I said a minute ago. That's fine. You know, we have a First Amendment right, you know, to represent our interests, basically, right? Um, but when the interests of students or the interests of, of the public, uh, uh, the interests of universities themselves, of communities that that the universities are in, those interests are not being being heard from, right? Scholarly analysis is, tends not to be part of the discussion. Uh, rather, um, a politically, you know, uh, weakened UW system is under attack, and so so the whole discussion becomes about STEM versus you know liberal arts, mm-hmm. um, when it really should be about. And this is what I've been arguing for a while. You know, it should be about austerity. It should be because austerity is kind of driving all this stuff. And I want to talk more about that austerity agenda in just a minute, but I want to remind everyone that you are listening to A Public Affair on WRT 89.9 FM Madison. My name is Douglas Haynes, and I'm talking today with UW-River Falls political science professor Neil Kraus about the austerity agenda in the universities of Wisconsin. If you have a question for Neil or a comment about cuts to the universities of Wisconsin, please give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9. There's still plenty of time to bring you into the conversation. So I'm going to bring us back here, Neil, to the State Senate Committee on Universities and Technical Colleges report that was published in 2021 called A Wisconsin Roadmap to Success in Higher Education for the 21st Century. We don't have to get too into the legislative weeds here, but basically this report laid out a broad set of reforms that included closing campuses in the state, included the free speech agenda that we've seen playing out over the last year or so. Um, I'm interested if you see explicit links between this legislative agenda that was laid out in 2021 and what's coming down from UW administrators today, right down to this email we saw from Rothman last week in the Daily Cardinal article. What what are these links? Is there an agenda really just being rolled out here without explicitly being stated? Oh, uh, yes, certainly, certainly. I mean, what the agenda that that. the UW, you know, is pursuing here is is really quite similar to what the Roth report laid out. Uh, campus specialization, um, kind of the elephant in the room here is online ed, um, which, you know, hasn't come up much given the discussion about liberal arts. Um, but increasing a massive increase in online ed uh, has been a big part of the whole austerity agenda, you know, going back to Ray Cross and then uh, to the the Roth report that that um, that you mentioned, but um, but but the they, the only thing that this is the thing that that changes, um, the pretext changes. So in 2020, let's go back to the May of 2020. Most of us probably don't even remember May of 2020, right? The pandemic shut down the world, and and it was extraordinarily difficult for all of us, right? Particularly. Those of us who teach or those of us who have, you know, children in schools, I mean, it was, it was dreadful, right? In May of 2020, right, the UW system puts out a very brief seven-page uh, uh, document called the Blueprint. And among the, the big takeaways there were, you know, streamlining the comprehensives, regionalizing the whole system, right? Um, and, and, you know, 
basically compelling this specialization. So getting rid, you know, and language in that report, if I do remember it correctly, I, I think I have to look at it again, but you know, we can't be all things to all people and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and also a massive increase in online ed, which as I talk about in my book, I mean, that was a, a, a push nationally at this time to, to take advantage of the, the, the pandemic and, and, uh, uh, and really impose a lot of it. And then the Roth report a year later just expanded on that in great detail. Um, the only thing missing, at least in the email, well, actually it's not missing because President Rothman indicates investing in technology. Mm -hmm. So so that's that's certainly um, uh, not inconsistent with expanding. And, and by the way, that's just explicit policy of the UW system to increase online ed. That's not, you don't have to read between the lines. Th those are the lines. I mean, that's just, there's reports and documents and all the rest of it in the last year or two that say we have to we have to do more of this right at the system level system level so yeah i mean the, the agenda you know the, the thing that changes is the pretext just real quick um so it's not a demographic crisis anymore that that seems to be have been been dropped um the covid didn't create an economic crisis didn't create a great depression the federal government stepped in and so now it's a structural deficits right that's the crisis crisis is now used to be like a few years out, you know, demographic crisis that's been dropped. So now we have to do this right now, right, right now. And that goes back to the, this, the, the whole uh, notion we talked about a minute ago, make these cuts quickly, move on, don't, don't look back kind of thing. So yeah. yeah, it's very troubling the way this is, this is playing out. So we have a caller here, Neil Ellen is on the line with a question about private contracts, um, which will lead us into a conversation about money and where UW system is spending its money uh, as we go forward here. So go ahead, Ellen, uh, you're on a public affair. Welcome. Thank you. Um, you know, since UW says it can't afford things and has to make cuts, I'm wondering why the private service contracts just keep growing. Um, they don't seem to be looking there for cuts. And um, in fiscal year 22, that was for UW altogether, all the system, it was $195 million, which I think was a big jump from the year before. So um, these contracts are typically big um, computer and management consulting type contracts with companies like Huron and Deloitte and and Accenture and Burning Glass and um, Huron just got more money in October for the regions decided. So that's not an austerity regime for those private service contracts. And there's very little oversight of those contracts. And some of them, they know right from the get-go, are going to cost way more than it would cost if they hired UW staff to do them. But they still go ahead with it. Thank yeah. you so much for that for that question, Ellen. It's a great point about austerity for students serving uh, public employees and students, yeah. but uh, not austerity for private companies. Neil, yeah, no, that that's a, a great point. Um, yeah, it's whether or not we ought to have the art major and the theater major, right? It's not whether or not we ought to look at all the consulting contracts and all the tech vendors and all the software and all all that stuff that stuff seems to be off the table uh at least as far as i'm hearing right so we're debating you know uh, uh liberal arts majors at the comprehensives and and really if you look at the number of people that that teach these fields and, and some of the smaller comprehensives it's really a pittance compared to in terms of the, the cost right in terms of how much we spend on all the things that the caller uh, uh laid out there um you know the, the, it, it really but austerity is primarily about you know serving uh corporate interests the or the interests of of the wealthy and you know it, it's not about i mean look look if we had you know the second great depression here right if we had 20 percent unemployment it you know it'd be very tough for any of us to say boy, the UW shouldn't take a hit, right? I mean, I mean, there's no revenue coming into the state, the federal government, you know, but, but it's the opposite of that, right? The state's drowning in money. Uh, unemployment is whatever it is at an all-time low, three and a half percent or something. And, and we're still talking austerity. We're still talking cutting budgets and yet spending, uh, uh, you know, a lot, a whole lot on consultants, on contracts, on technology. You know, 
We're talking about never, hundreds of millions, I, right, Neil? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. At a minimum. I mean, I mean, I can name the Administrative Transformation Project has a $250 million price tag. The consultants consulting on the layoffs are have multi-million dollar contracts. So we're talking about hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. A- absolutely. And, and you know, the, the notion that, I mean, consultants are brought in to, to implement the austerity agenda. So, so they're, I mean, they're brought in to say, how can you cut costs and how can you raise private funds? So the idea that they're going to look, let's just for a minute envision a world where consultants come in and say, well, we ought to look at everything you're spending money on. But but they can't. They can't. They can't. Uh, it just seems to me to defy common sense that a consultant is going to come in and say, um, we're going to, gonna, you know, uh, be critical of something. A, a UW system priority. They hired them to do the job, right? Um, and if the agenda is to streamline the comprehensives and to implement more online, um, and but but most fundamentally, the agenda is to not question austerity at all, right? And this is this this was you know came up in the article. Um, I think it was one of my comments that you know nobody even questions um, austerity. Including in the system itself, in the UW system itself, it's it's as if, you know, well, we're not going to get any more private money. That that line comes up over and over again from the UW system people, right? From people on our campuses. I mean, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute here. Um, you know, uh, we'd like to at least start thinking differently about this. Is just a political decision. Yeah, it's a tough thing to reverse, but there are a lot of arguments that could be made to to sort of push back against this, and instead. The argument basically is, well, this is just how things are now. This is just how things are now, even though they're, we're drowning in money, even though the state Supreme Court is going to hear, a re, already heard the redistricting case, right? Is almost certainly going to strike down the maps. Um, There's an know. inevitability, in other words. And that word, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly it. It, it, it. It's just These how things are, are inevitable, now, right? Yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, it's, you're just pie in the sky, people like you. And me and others, um, you know, I, you don't have to be a historian or political scientist to look at American history and and see all the things that used to be just outrageous and unacceptable and never going to happen. And they all happen if you go back at voting rights expansion and all the rest of it. I mean, there's there's a ton of examples, right, including in the not very distant past. But this whole notion of privatizing public higher ed, well, it's just the way the wind is blowing. No, it's not. No, it's not. It, it's costing students. Students are having to borrow more. Uh, and it's, it's a way of shifting shifting cost onto individuals rather exactly. than, than the state. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. We don't have, we have about six minutes left, Neil, and there's one specific thing that follows up on, on that great question from Ellen about uh, use of public money to pay for um global consulting firms. Um, and I want to talk about the rebranding of the UW system as the universities of Wisconsin. I know you have some really interesting thoughts about yeah. that. This fall, UW system spent almost half a million dollars on rebranding as the universities of Wisconsin, giving much of this money to global consulting firm Baker Tilly for their creative services here. Yeah. How do you see this rebranding as part of the overall agenda? Many people thought reacted as just seems sort of random, but uh, you see it yeah. as, as related to all these pieces of austerity uh, that we've been talking about. I mean, you, you know, I do. I think that, first of all, by making university plural, right, universities uh, of Wisconsin, uh, I think the message, again, it furthers this thinking that, you know, there's River Falls and Stout and Parkside and all these separate entities. There's not, and not only are they separate from what used to be, you know, a, a unified whole, they, they each do things differently, right? There's, there, I think it furthers the specialization agenda. I really do, as if to say, um, they're all unique and they're all different and you could go here and study this field and then, but you could, you, you can't study English at this major or at this university. You have to go to either Madison or maybe this one or two other comprehensives. Um, the whole point of the comprehensive university is to be comprehensive, right? It's to offer a broad array of programs in every corner of the state, right? That's accessible to everyone who lives in the state. 
right? Because most college students don't go to college far away. Most go to college within an hour or hour and a half or so of their home, right? Um, but I think I think it's it's just another step in, into getting us thinking that no, there really is not a, a, a comprehensive university anymore. I mean, in, in Minnesota, it's real interesting. St. Cloud State, big big furor. Minnesota has a way bigger budget surplus, and St. Cloud State is cutting cutting programs and all the rest of it. And their language, this is right out of a consultant's playbook. We're a new kind of comprehensive, right? So I'm kind of waiting for that language mm-hmm. to end up here, right? We're, in other words, we're not comprehensive anymore. We're a new kind, right? Um, you know, words are everything. And, you know, people made fun of the, making it plural, but I've spent years studying this stuff and it's, it's not insignificant. It's not insignificant. And making things blue instead of red on websites, it's, I mean, I don't know about that. I can't speak to that. But I mean, um, but yeah, it, it, it represents, uh, let's get people thinking differently. Just like you talked about, Douglas, the inevitability piece, right? Well, just, this is just how things are now, right? Uh, austerity, independent entities that used to be part of this great system and used to be great comprehensives, just can't have them anymore, right? I mean, that's, that's that's what I see going on here. And it's it doesn't happen overnight, but it, if it can happen when there's a huge budget, this is what I keep saying. The budget surplus is an anomaly, right? It goes away. It goes away. The economy will go south at some point and state revenues will decline. If there's not a concerted pushback against this agenda now, it, 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 it we're in deep trouble. We're in deep. We have to just a couple of minutes, Neil, and I want to build on what you just said by asking you what you see as the resistance to this austerity agenda organizing around the states. Are there are there prospects for changing it? And then also work in quickly a caller who is not on the line who uh, was pointing out that he sees uh, the austerity agenda in higher ed as tied to weakening the Democratic vote. That is... Um, Democratic uh, capital D. Um, yeah. In other words, uh, as he sees the issue as political for Republicans, that they just don't want college educated citizens. Um, is yeah. that part of the issue? And then we'll get to what can we do? I, I, I mean, I think um, uh, that might be part of it. I think there's multiple motivations, but but I think that um, a hostility towards many liberal arts fields, the arts and humanities, maybe some of the social sciences. I think that's very, very common among many sort of libertarian funders and, and folks like that. Um, whether or not the Republican Party wants uh, less, you know, um, uh, sort of democratic uh, leaning voters. Is that the question or is that the gist of it? Or democratic um, students, right, large that students sort of vote Democratic. That's essentially what yeah. the caller was saying. And therefore, yeah. they, they want fewer students. Well, I mean, uh, I, I certainly think that's that's a possibility. I mean, historically, in the United States, college campuses are to the left of, of the communities that they're in. That's a uniform throughout the country. So uh, I think anything that would maybe produce less uh, Democratic Party voters might be part of the the the. the the desirability of, of some of these ideas too. Thanks for the comment, Maurice. Uh, 20 seconds, Neil, can you give us yeah. our, our call to action? What, what, you know, what I mean, you AFT Wisconsin is doing quite a bit on all the campuses, uh, organizing. I'm president of the local here. Um, we're, we're organizing it uh, around these issues. We're trying to attract more members and we're really, to my knowledge, the only organized voice pushing back against this agenda. Uh, and and in the next year or so, and you know, you see a lot of uh, union activity across the United States on college campuses, and and we're trying to sort of mobilize and get people thinking and 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 uh, you know taking action, starting with the AFT Wisconsin. Well, thanks so much, Neil. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there. Neil Krause is professor of political science at UW River Falls and the author of the new book, The Fantasy Economy. Thanks again, Neil. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks very much, Douglas. Uh, Please find the show if you enjoyed it on Public Affairs Archive and share it or wherever you find your podcasts. I'm your host, Douglas Haynes, and I'd like to thank today's engineer and producer, Jade Iseri Ramos, news director, Sholly Pittman, and thank you listeners for joining us today on A Public Affair here at WRT 89.9 FM, Madison.